This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the morning run continues. It's 9.36 on the 14th of December and time for the S&M show. A show where we rant about what's working and what's not in stocks and markets and therefore S&M. Thank you very much. I'm Sherrod Kutten and with me, Ibrahim Sunny, and our guests, a very regular face on uh, on this show. Uh, it's an odd thing to say since we are radio, is Dr. Suresh Rabmanathan, an independent forex strategist. Thank you so much, Suresh, for joining us this morning. Thanks. And uh, the topic for this week is none other than our own currency, the ringgit and recent moves by Bank Nagara uh, to uh, deal with uh, the falling uh, value of the of the ringgit. How do we begin this discussion? What should people be concerned about most? I mean, Brian, what's your thoughts on where this conversation begins? Let's start with the fact that uh, this morning, a quick check on ringgit dollar uh, 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 split was a four ringgit 44 cent to one US dollar. And much of this slide was being uh, blamed on the three letters, NDF, uh, the non-deliverable forward. So my first question would definitely be this, right? Uh, Dr. Suresh, being an independent uh, FX uh, strategist, you've seen the reasons why currencies go up and down. Do you think that the ringgit slide was because of the NDF as claimed by the regulators? Uh, Not really, actually, because uh, I still remember periods of uh, a few years ago, uh, Ringgit NDF was uh, pricing in a stronger Ringgit compared to the onshore spot uh, way back in 2010, 2011 itself. So there are times where Ringgit NDF actually appreciates a lot more significant than uh, the onshore spot. Now it is actually depreciated more than the onshore spot. So when it actually strengthened significantly, nobody made noise. But uh, now actually when it's weakened actually significantly, everybody blames the NDF market. Yeah, so according to the Bank Negara Governor, uh, the new measures that have been put in place, so we'll get to that in a bit, but the new measures that have been put in place, it's not uh, you know, capital control, there's no new policy on regulating the uh, uh, or fixing the ringgit. Uh, but do you think this is the case? You know, um, you know if, you, if you look at since 2005, the Foreign Exchange Administration rules is all over the place. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of liberalization and a lot of opening up markets and trying to introduce a lot of hedging instruments. But I looked at it closely the last uh, 11 years almost. Uh, and I can say actually that, you know, for any foreign investor or any tra- FX trader who's coming into the market, he would, he would definitely get confused with the amount of rulings that are in place there itself. Because this is too many. Is it? Just way too many. Uh, you know, it's all over the place from uh, foreign fund managers to asset managers to hedging framework to exporter earnings to foreign currency accounts. It's it's all over the place. So, it's, it, you know, we, it's, it's actually where do we start first? So, that's why I'm trying to advocate actually let's do away with this foreign exchange administration rules and let's come up with one proper simple rule to encompass everything instead of actually liberalizing it over the years from 2005 and, you know, adding up some structures, taking out some structures and tweaking it here and there. It really confuses a lot of people. Like, like, a, like a sort of a magic bullet to it. Well, Suresh, can I ask you a, a, a very simple question? If you don't think the problem is in NDFs, where is the problem? Is the edge in its editorials and its headlines suggesting it's a question of confidence? Uh, is that part of the story? What do you think? I, I think if you look at exactly what's happening is the fact that you've got a domestic issue, okay, one. 
which means actually you have growth numbers which are not very impressive. Then you also have the fact that you know crude oil prices have actually come off quite significantly, which has actually dented revenue to a large extent. Then thirdly is actually the fact that domestic demand has significantly fallen off after the implementation of GST way back in April 2015 itself. So these three factors have significantly softened or even actually slowed the Malaysian economy. Now, externally, everybody knows it's actually Trump's win and then the U.S. Fed hike and, and Chinese growth slowing down. That's very obvious. But I think the rot started with the implementation of GST itself uh, because one is the GST was imposed with a very noble idea of of taxing consumption. But what is actually turned out to be on GST is actually it's turning out to be a value-added tax, So, which means it's increasing the cost across the chain of distribution of goods and services and slowing the economy drastically, especially domestic demand. What about the question of the NDS and the role it plays? I mean, sometimes the story sounds like we're talking about people who just sort of speculate on money and uh, driving prices, you know, up and down, regardless of the real economy. But they're also exporters and a real trading activity that does, in fact, use kind of NDFs, yeah. you know. And what about that? You have to ask yourself, what exactly is NDF? NDF is a non-deliverable forward which means actually it's there in place because your ringgit is not deliverable offshore. So that's why they come up with this type of instruments. Now, the other thing to take note is the NDF is a dollar-settled instrument. You don't settle it in local currency. So it's been there for a long time ever since we had that Asian financial crisis. And it has been there because it's a hedging instrument. It's a tool for a lot of people to actually use that. to. It's a genuine tool, is yeah, it? Yeah, genuine it is, tool. Yeah, yeah. So my question then is, what is the difference? So if NDF has been used then and now, were we in trouble then when NDF was you know, heavily used? You know, there are episodes in certain countries, like in India, they had the same issue. And in South Korea, they had the same issue many years ago. But what central banks in India, even South Korea, or even Thailand for that matter, was that they knew that you, know, you can't blame the NDFs. Because it's a huge market, it's 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 very wild, uh, it's untamed, and what you should do is actually you should integrate the market with the onshore market, not try to actually create a wedge between them. So, so in other words, yeah. can can we can we actually live with them because they seem to have a useful function in the ecosphere of hedging instruments? Yeah. Can therefore NDF be used for trade related activities uh, that are other than speculative ones that ha- you know which is gained reputation for right now? Yeah, you can. Can use that because you must understand that as much as people blame it as speculation, uh, it's actually an arbitrage between the onshore and the offshore. If the offshore gives out a better rate compared to the onshore, then people take the offshore rate or even actually vice versa. So that's why actually it's an arbitrage mechanism rather than a speculative mechanism itself. Thailand knew about this, and that's why actually they, they allowed the bar to be traded offshore on a limited basis. So the NDF market was totally removed eventually. Okay. So so yeah. when we talk about the various measures that are currently in place and you think that, uh, you know, perhaps we should make away with all this, right? So I'm going to throw one more in the mix. There's this thing called the FMC that was created by the Bangnagara uh, a few months back. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the FMC, its role, function, purpose, all that? Yeah. You know, the FMC was set up actually as a unit, uh, as a liaison committee between the central bank and the market. Uh, and the FMC has got two legs. It's got a FMC. 
FX market committee and the bond market committee. It consists of uh, market practitioners as well as actually a sprinkle of uh, one or two people from the Securities Commission and, and two appointments from the Central Bank itself. It's chaired by the Assistant Governor. Uh, but the key thing here is actually what I noticed is uh, we know that the Financial Market Committee is there as a licensed committee, but every press statement there tends to mention the Financial Market Committee. So I'm wondering actually, is the Financial Market Committee running the show or the central bank running the show? Because in any other central bank, it will be the central bank talking first and the Financial Market Committee will be in the background. But here it's the other way around. The Financial Market Committee is in the front and, and the Central Bank is okay. actually reflecting. Th- this, is, this is very interesting. So the FMC constituents are basically the market people. Yeah. Uh, but isn't the AG being a regulator there? You know, I'm the AG, I'm there. Uh, therefore, I speak as on behalf of the regulators instead of, instead of being speaking on the you know, market. He probably chairs the meeting, but uh, the key thing here is actually any policy initiative actually has to be discussed in closed doors. And then the press statements come, actually, it should be just the AG or the central bank talking. You shouldn't mention the financial market committee because the financial market committee… And yet they do, right? Yeah, I mean, the financial market state- committee is just a market committee consisting of market practitioners. You yeah. see? You're not a regulator, you see? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the measures uh, that have been following. Well, we'll, do, we'll come back uh, with that just after this. Uh, we'll have more on the SNM show, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, uh, the Stocks and Markets show, the SNM show continues. Um, Ibrahim Sunny and myself, Shohat Kutin, and our guest, Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, an independent forex strategist. We were talking about non-deliverable forwards just now, and now we're going to be moving on to the other move by uh, Bank Nagara on the question of uh, pr- uh, export proceeds. Yeah, so Bank Nagara announced several measures to increase the demand for the ringgit and to reduce its volatility against the US dollar. Uh, and among the measures that that are being implemented includes exporters uh, to convert 75% of their proceeds into ringgit. Um, and this was done a few weeks back. Uh, at the moment, exporters are required to bring back their proceeds into Malaysia within three months of completing a transaction. Um, and the question now is, has this measure, we've seen this being implemented 10, 12 days, uh, 13 days already. Is it working? What do you think, Dr.? Well, you know, I still remember actually when it was announced, the ringgit was trading around like roughly 446.50 just to 447. And today, ringgit is trading around 443.50, just under 444. So the gains have just not been there at all. It's obvious it's not working. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, is the time frame sufficient? I mean, was this supposed to work immediately? You know, in in... In any measure that the central bank announces, the first thing that the market sees is actually if it's good, the ringgit would have dropped almost 20 cents to 25 cents. Uh, It would have gained very significantly. But what I noticed was over the last few days after the announcement, it's gained and it's been very tepid. It's it's roughly around like 3 to 4 cents or even just maximum 5 cents. It's actually gained. And now it's, it's getting back towards actually a weaker level today itself. So it tells me that the measures have not been taken up very well by the market itself. The other observation which I noticed was uh, taking one particular year of exports and imports, 2014. I noticed that you know uh, in 2014, which was a good year as well, before oil prices came off, exports totaled almost 273 billion US dollars. Imports were running around 204 to 205 billion US dollars. And 75% of that, if it's actually going to be converted, it will mean exactly amounting to the imports itself. So which means the savings of all this exercise of retaining 75% in local currency would probably increase the cost of the conversion itself, a double conversion 
from dollars into ringgit and ringgit into dollars. So that's why I'm not surprised many are up in arms with this. Okay, so one of those uh, organizations or associations that are up in arms include the uh, rubber uh, exporters, um, where they have companies like uh, Kosan and Top Glove, and uh, the organization we're talking about is Magma, for instance. Yeah. And they say that not only is this, uh, you know, problematic for the players, um, it's not necessarily working for the country. But isn't that the whole point? The regulator has to think in th- to take into account the interest of the country, um, and sometimes the players have to just, you know, bite the bullet. Is is that a fair argument to make? No. A regulator looks at the welfare of the nation. That's very important. But you could have actually fine-tuned that policy. You must understand that our major exports, uh, our major exporting nations are Singapore, China and India, importing as well from China, Singapore and, 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 and the US. So which means that, you know, you could have uh, targeted cross-currency pairs itself, Sing Ringgit, Chinese one against ringgit instead of directly hitting on the dollar against ringgit because the dollar uh, from an export and import becomes only the third position itself. Our exports and imports to the US is actually third in ranking. Okay, okay so the first is Singapore and China. Uh, and then China yeah, and then two, Australia uh, no, in US, that order. Yeah, US, uh, sorry, US, US in yes, that order. Yes. And therefore targeting uh, ringgit sing and ringgit yuan would be more Exactly. Effective. Yes. Uh, so you'd have targeted certain currency pairs itself. So that would have been a lot more easier instead of directly hitting on the dollar against ringgit itself. Uh, Suresh, could you help me understand this? I mean, if, uh, if I understand correctly, uh, the proceeds that exporters held uh, in US dollars overseas were brought back and said, well, 75% were uh, held back. Then basically, you're buying ringgit with US dollars. because you yes. conv- And that would uh, increase the demand for the ringgit and therefore the value of the ringgit. Is that essentially the mechanism? That's that's the mechanism. But also you must understand the last few years, uh, Bangladesh has also liberalized the foreign currency account itself. So as an exporter, when you get US dollars, you can bring back the US dollars. You don't need to convert it. You can park it in the Malaysian financial institutions under the foreign currency account. So the, the, the foreign currency is within the Malaysian system, but it's parked under foreign currency account. So only when you need to convert uh, from time to time to pay some payments and then you do the conversion itself. So right now to blame that saying every money is parked offshore, no, it's not the way that it is done because Nagara liberalized that policy a long time ago. You could open a foreign currency account onshore, bring your dollars and park it as a foreign currency account onshore and then when you need to do it, then you do your conversion. They look at the market and then do it. So, uh, you have rightfully said most of them actually take a wait and see approach then they do the conversion itself Yeah, and, and this is what you know at least what Julian likes to argue the natural hedge argument right yeah. because these companies they have n- non-ringgit revenue and yeah. they pay non-ringgit uh, cost to these yeah. suppliers whatever the, co- the suppliers may be and you lose that natural hedge um, yeah. um, element but do you think Bangalore has factored that in and have outweighed the argument saying that you know while companies or players lose that natural hedge uh, argument the you know the impact to safeguard the ringgit is far greater than that i think they they've taken into account of that but uh, i think the measure would should have been fine tuned on cross currency pairs rather than just the dollar against the ringgit itself uh, now my only concern is let's say if the ringgit hits closer to its 450 and goes beyond that what other new measures are going to be introduced or is it going to be something very regressive 
compared to what they've liberalized over the last few years. I, w- I want to ask you, there's, a, there's an interesting language we use when we talk about the ringgit. We talk about defending the ringgit as if the ringgit was our reputation or the ringgit was sovereignty <laughs> like that we're defending. And, and should currencies be defended in that way? I mean, should we be thinking of the ringgit, th- that it needs to be protected, defended and such? Yeah, uh, Ringgit is not a freely floated currency internationally. That's the first thing you need to take into account. Uh, second thing is that uh, the ringgit uh, plays a very prominent role in Malaysia's monetary policy itself. Now, you can manage it, but you, you can't defend it vigorously uh, because you don't have enough ammunition to defend that. So eventually, then you defend it more, then you get under attack more again itself. But the crucial thing here to take into account is that it's like playing a kite. Uh, you know, when there's a wind, you you let it go a bit more higher, then you pull it back. That's how you manage it. But to pull it all down back again because there's a that's too windy, then you become extremely defensive. So I think the the approach of managing the ringgit should be like approaching it to how you play a kite. And and that's yeah. a very interesting uh, analogy, yeah. right? So with this in mind, you are saying that we have all these administrative rules, and 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 you know they're very careful not to use the word capital control. They're very careful not to use the word you know pegging the ringgit. And these, these are taboo words, right? Um, how do you manage that with this one or two just me- you know special measures to actually encompass that whole uh, defending the ringgit? And and how did, how does that play into that analogy of uh, you know uh, playing I, the kite. I, I think the key thing here is actually, or the legacy issue is that uh, at one time, Ringgit was traded offshore. Uh, it was managed. It was a convertible currency on the capital account before 97-98 crisis. And at least I look at that as a benchmark uh, uh-huh. when I look at the Ringgit itself because Ringgit is not a currency that was uh, controlled or even tightly regulated as it is now because it was actually a currency that was traded offshore way before even the Chinese one, Korean one, Indian rupee as well. So we should look back towards those days to bring back actually those type of policies back in case. Okay, uh, so so we don't have much time left, Rajrat. Uh, yeah. so the question is uh, on Nomura. Uh, yesterday, they they targeted the ringgit to be at 470 uh, 476 to be precise uh, for 2017 and they have targeted for 2018 to be 472. So the question is what measures are you going to expect uh, to be around the corner that will be implemented soon? Not your wish list but something that you could expect or anticipate that uh, Benegara could do. I think the thing they could have done is actually targeting the cross-currency pairs on the Remington's or even the exchange uh, the receipts that you get from exports rather than directly managing the dollar against ringgit. I think it's very crucial now you manage the other trading partners itself on the weight of the currency itself rather than directly hitting on dollar ringgit. I think dollar ringgit managing that is actually pointless at this point in time. Okay, so there's a question that's come in about the one of you know, the tools available to Bank Nagara. What about moral suasion uh, in defending the ringgit? Is there is there a tool? Can Bank Nagara appeal and who would they be appealing to? You know, the moral suasion approach has been there for a long time. The moment that, you know, any movement is a bit extraordinary or abnormal, the moral suasion the central bank does is actually just one phone call to the interbank trader and say, actually, what's happening? That's good enough. So they would have actually told them, actually, who's doing the trade, uh, how much the trade is being done, and it's for whom. So they this type of... Uh, Moral suasion actually has been approached, has been done, has been effective as well because the interbank market is not very large as well. But you can't do that for larger markets in NDFs as well. 
Well, last question. I mean, the, the, the ordinary man, the man on the street, the man and woman on the street, uh, should they be panicking? Should they be, you know, running out to their, you know, local, ex, uh, you know, money changers, they are converting their ringgit? Or, you know, is panic necessary at this point? You know, every time a currency... Is panic necessary? Panic is a legitimate response. Every time a currency weakens, you must understand you become poorer. That's one thing. Secondly, uh, I think Thanks. ever Thanks. since the ringgit breached 380, everybody is in already in a panic mode. Uh-huh. Because, you know, even how volatile markets were, 380 was never breached at all, uh, except with 97, 98 crisis and it came back down. But after that, actually, when it breached 380, I, I myself panicked because I said I've never seen it trading above 380 for such a long period. Itself. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. Huh? yeah. So... But that's the thing, right? To to panic is to be tired because panicking requires a lot of effort and energy, and and you know you can't be panicking the entire year. Yeah, but when you when you're protecting your savings, I think people expend uh, quite a bit of energy right. on that. So so with this in mind, at what point? I mean, I, you know, not not to make light of what Shiraz is trying to say. What do we do now? I think the key thing here is actually to start holding some of your foreign currencies and just hope for the best that ringgit comes back below 380 itself and hopefully actually expect yeah. BNG to actually... But if you're buying it to, yeah. at today's prices and it goes to 380, yes. then you've made a loss, haven't you? So, yes. so, so, you, you, <laughs> okay. so you're preaching what Obama said, hope uh, and, uh, and change. Okay, well, thank you so much. Our yeah. guest, Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, an independent forex strategist, myself, Shirai Kutin, of course, my colleague, uh, Ibrahim Sunny, and this has been the SNM Show on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.